This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's, that's not crazy good or anything like that. That's just regular, decent. You took a team that was worse than you. You beat them at home. You shouldn't have lost when it was away, but them's the breaks. 114 to 99. The Raptors defeat the Charlotte Hornets. It was in, it was very, very important that they do so. Any team that walks around with the Mr. Beast logo you can't be you can't be losing that team, man. One fourteen to ninety nine, led there I think by five performances really come to mind, or maybe four I should say. Scotty, of course. Uh, I can't remember what record he set, uh, but the collection of stats he put up was a record in this one. Uh, his stat line: twenty two points, three blocks, seven assists, and seventeen rebounds. I have to assume it's something about the combination of over twenty points. 17 boards and seven assists. We've seen like a 20 and however many game from Jonas Valanciunas, but he wasn't diming dudes up. Uh, Scotty Barnes marauding around with a live dribble, going downhill, being able to throw passes all over the court and able to pressure the rim just by proxy of I'm a big ass dude in Scotty Barnes and I'm pressuring the rim. Uh, it makes the defenses fold in interesting ways, especially in the open court. He was fantastic, especially closing out defensive possessions for a long part of this game and then towards the end of the game I think six of his points in the fourth quarter were a result of really hounding on the offensive glass so overall just a very very impressive game from him sure three turnovers or sorry five turnovers but you got to risk it to get the ball into dangerous areas and especially early on in this game where the Raptors you know they obviously made the change from Jakob Pertl but they're trying to squeeze the ball into very tight spaces, you're going to be more prone to turnovers. Pascal kind of avoiding that a little bit by using the dribble more often in this case. He finishes with 27 points, eight assists, eight rebounds. That stat line would look really fantastic. I think the Raptors are now six and two when he scores north of 25 points, but it's hard to be like the, what's the, the number one banana, the top banana. There's like a, a second banana. There has to be a first banana. Uh, that would look the best if Scotty didn't put up a hellacious 22, 17, and 7 with three blocks. And I think he had two goaltending calls that the one wasn't close, but the one seemed like it was like hovering at the apex. It might have been turned around. Um, another huge performance off the bench from Precious Achua. I think that his self creation has loomed large for a lot of those in betweener lineups, and especially tonight where, you know, a traditional center or maybe a little bit more of a plotting center is getting stuck on a Chua. There's more, there's more room for him to make good cuts. There's more room for him to work off of other players. And 
there's more room, obviously, where he can... <laughs> I just read a funny comment. I'm so sorry. I'll read it out afterwards, but I lost my train of thought. It's a good joke. I'll read it. But anyway, another game where he's able to make sure that he can make other teams pay in space. The comment in question, Sungjin Woo says, does the hat indicate a new name? Samson Richard. Yeah. I, here's actually the, the Samson folk, the San Francisco hat. This one, obviously, yes, yeah, Samson Dick. It's kind of funny because I made a joke today because Grady Dick released the first episode of his podcast. And I was like, Grady Dick shoots 30% from three and hosts a podcast. We're basically the same guy. Anyway, back to the game. Precious was, I think, fantastic. He's been able to put together quite a few games that have been impressive off the bench. His scoring punch is much needed. Um, he and Scotty have been able to find uh, a fair bit of synergy. And on top of that, too, Chris Boucher, not as many minutes in this game as Achua, but another big positive. I think that he does a really great job. Um, Isfandiar Berhaney, I don't know if he tweeted this out, but he was talking about how they, they do pair really well together. And it's largely a byproduct of Scotty. Most of Scotty's live dribble drives are going to the left. He's a right-handed player, but most of them, he's very comfortable dribbling with his left hand going left. Boucher is in the strong side corner. Scotty's coming downhill. A lot of guys in that strong side corner will step up and show to Scotty's drive. Chris has been really good at timing up those cuts, creeping baseline, and Scotty, a great passer, a great live dribble passer. At any height, he can pick it up and, you know, and sling it in there. He's been able to find uh, Chris on a lot of those. And we saw that a fair bit tonight, even if Chris did miss some stuff at the basket. And Scotty missed a few things at the basket that he doesn't typically. I know he's seven for 14, and everybody can. You know, you tip your cap and that's perfectly good. Uh, you don't have to be mad at that. But he could have been like, I don't know, 10 of 10 of 12 or something like that if he hadn't missed bunnies around the rim. Um, the, the 12 being he had to clean up his own offensive rebounds. You get what I'm saying. Um, and then additionally, another big one is the 22 points. And get this, for the people who didn't watch or the people who need reminding, 10 rebounds for the guy. And three assists, although I didn't think it was a very strong playmaking game. 22 and 10 and a plus 25 for Gary Trent Jr. For the people who, and I thought this was a good Dennis game for what it's worth, but for the people who want to see Gary more involved next to the stronger players, um, want to see Gary more involved with the players who create where his shooting can impact more possessions, right? Where you will get... And not in this game. I'm going to talk a little bit about Schroeder in this game, of course. But a lot of these possessions, when it swings to, swings to Schroeder or it swings to somebody else, maybe it's Malachi, whomever, these possessions where you get this big advantage and you create a huge defensive rotation, it doesn't end up creating much, right? But when Pascal and Barnes can bro in not the highest scoring game, can combine for 15 assists, score a healthy amount themselves, a byproduct of that is shot making around them. And I think both those guys did a great job of creating those shots. And I think Gary in this game, with a little bit of self-creation on top of it, but mostly did a good job of shaping up to drives, shaping up to doubles on post-ups, making sure that he was filling lanes on the court where he needed to, and obviously bringing tremendous pop as a shot maker. Now, 10 rebounds in this game, I didn't think it was that he wanted it more. I don't think that we can predict a, a huge bump in rebounding going forward. Sometimes the ball just found him, but you can never, never turn your nose up at the ball finding guys. In this game, the ball found Gary for shots. It found him for rebounds. 
And in some cases, it found him pushing the ball up the court for early offense. I thought he was tremendous. I hope that we see more games like this. Four for 10 from three. Uh, if like Gary played 34, almost 35 minutes tonight, he's not going to be playing that much every game. And this was a byproduct of what we'll talk about next. Jakob Pertl only playing 15 minutes. But if Gary's playing 35 minutes, if you look at his per 36 numbers, you're going to want to see like 10 three-point attempts. This team justifies that amount. This team necessitates that amount. And when he hits 40% of them, it's going to grade out to a pretty good, obviously, Gary Trent game. And not, not to mention that there's five shots made inside the arc. Yes, of course, we still had in this game, like the he went up in transition and he got blocked. And it's like, it's another classic Gary Trent Jr. transition possession. Um, and he actually ended up leading the team in shot attempts. Uh, he had 17, Pascal had 16, Scotty had 14. Although Scotty's usage, I think. Um, well, Pascal and Scotty might have ended up, no, because of the turnover. Scotty's usage would have been the highest of anybody in this game, uh, but which it should be, I think. Scotty did such a good job um, pushing. He found a way to initiate offense in the half court to start and get things going. And um, yeah, I think he was a, a bit of a wizard tonight. And when the Raptors did a poor job, let's say, of putting spacing around him, like Phoenix plays, he says, you're doing Scotty such a disservice with this spacing. When there wasn't that much spacing, Scotty had good things that he could go to. Um, a lot of how Scotty navigates things as an offensive player is as a dribble handoff up. A lot of what he does is to get on the offensive glass. A lot of what he does is he pushes early for pseudo transition or those step up screens. A lot of Scotty's like, I don't know, his highest points per possession pick and rolls are those step up screens in transition. It's so that teams are kind of backpedaling a little bit. Teams aren't able to put the help in all the right places to funnel because if Scotty gets downhill, he's going to get all the way to the basket unless you show him bodies and funnel the ball to somewhere you deem to be less dangerous as the defense. And in this game, when you go early, think about the like overtop pass to Chris Boucher that he that they had in the fourth quarter, big dunk. The reason for that is they went early. The help the help defense wasn't really there. They had to overload at the point of attack. Scotty is such a tall player for these pick and roll possessions. The overhead pass, super easy. I played basketball yesterday. I ran with Trey. We ran a pick and roll. I they threw two at the point of attack. I didn't escape dribble. I jumped up. I tried to go over top. Two, I think it was like a six foot two and a six foot two guy with long arms guarding it. I had to try and create a different angle. I threw it over Trey's head. He couldn't get to it. You know why? Because I'm not six foot nine like Scotty, man. He can just go up and create a really quick plane. That angle, straight to the roller, straight to Boucher. Um, I thought he was really good in finding the counters. I also thought that Pascal was absolutely surgical. I think he only missed one shot down the stretch of this game. He comes in late in fourth quarters, everybody knows. And I know people have kind of complained about that, how late it takes for him to get into these games. And certainly, uh, you know, well, Darko was trying different rotations in this game, let's say that much. But Pascal comes in, I think he's like three of four from the floor. I think in clutch time, he's shooting like 54% on the season. He's shooting over 50% on the season. Unfortunately, his made three-pointer tonight, they called back because of a Jakob Pertl offensive foul. But Pascal has been so surgical, working on the inside of the arc, 
being able to like draw doubles, create offense, all of the Raptors' best runs offensively were just correlated with get the ball to Pascal. If you have to run a pick and roll to initiate a switch and then go on a mismatch, fine. If he gets a mismatch by doing early work, fine. If he's able to do anything, get him the ball, shift the defense, make the read, and credit to the guys working around him, getting into open spots, cutting against the shifted defense, cutting against the compromised defense, and hitting open shots. And then if they want to leave Pascal alone, it's time to boogie. It's time to score buckets. So very impressed with the Raptors' wing tandem. Now let's talk front court. Jakob Pertl, this was not his game. And the last time they played Charlotte, I did not think that it was his game. Uh, he is not as able to take advantage of some of the, I don't know, slower bigs in the NBA. And I think that also the Raptors saw that they had to, of course, be able to put themselves in position where they can attack space. And it was a big shift for Precious to be the one attacking space. It was a big shift to put Pascal or Scotty at the five or a combination of that being your front court to attack that space. And when they were struggling early on on offense, it's a lot of it was because they're trying to run these high post actions through Jakob. There's no space at all. He has, a what, four turnovers, four points, two assists, what, one rebound, one defensive rebound? Completely unacceptable. Even if he only played 15 minutes, unacceptable. And on top of that, it's not just when he's running the high post offense, they're not able to glean any advantages from that, but also that in this game, when the Raptors are running a lot of their, you know, rote, regular screening actions, be it dribble handoff or pick and roll, they're not able to move the defense because they're so consistently shading off of him and plugging up the lane. Like a Pascal post up in the third quarter looked a lot different from a schematic point of view for the Hornets than it did in the first quarter or a Scotty pick and roll in the fourth quarter looked a lot different from a schematic point of view of the Hornets defense than it did in the first quarter. Why? Because Jakob Pertl wasn't out there and the Raptors started leveraging their front court playmaking with a live dribble. Jakob doesn't do that, right? Um, it's a diff when he is able to play make, it's a different type of playmaking. It's typically the Raptors trying to spy out a mismatch, trying to catch guys on chin screens, back screens, flex screens, cross screens, slice screens, all these types of things to open up high low opportunities for their big wings, big forwards to catch and finish down low. They've been able to do that a decent amount this season, but it's not the most consistent form of offense. And that type of offense is most dangerous when it's paired with shooting to make sure that teams want to fight over screens so you can create more, uh, I guess, interruptions in communication, miscommunications for the guys guarding those screening actions so you can back cut into space. Most famously, of course, done through so much split action offense with the Warriors where you've seen Steph Curry or Clay Thompson walk into 80 feet of space in the middle of the floor and Draymond Green throws a little bounce pass to them. They get a wide open layup. The Raptors run a lot of those same actions. Teams are not as eager to fight over when it's Pascal or Scotty instead of Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. Them's the breaks. They're also much better at catching the high contested pass than both Clay and Steph for what it's worth. But they're not able to do that with Jakob in this game. Jakob also isn't able to provide a lot of the defensive punch that they won this game because 
as I have talked about in past episodes, past games, whatever you call this coverage, he has a tough time setting the edge in the screen coverage. Some games it's been good. Some games it's been bad. This was a game where I think he had trouble with it. They did a pretty poor job of stopping the live dribble stuff from the Hornets. What changed? They switched more of those actions. They went smaller in the front court. They switched more of those actions. They decided to push up on those possessions, ask their guys to guard on switches. We saw Scotty with some success on switches. We saw Pascal with some success on switches. We saw Precious doing the same thing. This is what the Raptors had to do. And the Raptors, for the people who were kind of low on the Jakob Pertle trade, for people who wondered about his utility through 48 minutes, and uh, I think for the people who were kind of pessimistic on it, these are the games you look at, certainly, when you want to explain, well, if it's against, you know, because it's fine if the Raptors are a good team, a lot of good teams drop their centers during portions of the game to switch to a different style of play. Um, if you have a center like Embiid or Jokic, you absolutely don't do that. But there are good centers like Zubots who get dropped for large portions of the game to play a different style. We've seen that in the playoffs. We've seen that in the regular season. And Jakob, just because of how much he gets paid, just because of what you traded for him, you would hope that he's a center who can always justify time on the court. It probably isn't the case. And in this game, it certainly wasn't. The Raptors found their success, not because it was a, a poor Jakob game, which it was, but because of Jakob's skill set and what that elicits in the Hornets' defense. And the Raptors moving away from that was extremely beneficial. Uh, this isn't an indictment on Jakob's game. Jakob was a known commodity when they traded for him. I sat here <laughs> when they did. And I didn't agree with the trade. It was like 3 a.m. when I recorded the video because it was a super late, you know, a super late announcement from Woj, I think. And uh, it's it's tough, man. But there's going to be some games where he's really good. Hopefully up against Denver, he does a really good job against Jokic. Um, a boy can dream. And then you're on the road to the pizza party, ice cream party, dinner, whatever the hell they have promised to the players if they win three in a row. Um, Micah Zion says Yak needs to be in the pick and roll to be good, not as the post passer. I think he can be good as the post passer, certainly. Uh, he ran a, a, like a ton of delay action with the Spurs. Um, a lot of it with Doug McDermott, though, who is one of the best. If you're going to initiate through delay action, uh, he's one of the best early offense delay action wings in all of the NBA. Even with some of his limitations, he's one of the best, like, tag dho players that you can just like run through a bunch of actions in four seconds if you want to and Jakob in spacing could do quite well i think it's just he's more limited obviously because if teams play off of him he's not going to threaten with a live dribble we saw the celtics kind of hack the raptors half court offense by dropping porzingis back into the charge circle i don't know why they didn't do it in the second matchup but in the first matchup they asked Jakob great with a live dribble if you think you're so cool and and uh he wasn't really able to uh but your point about being a pick and roll big Jakob is like a top five roller in the NBA he isn't as much of a vertical threat which you want to have a big vertical threat so you can be able to kind of change the court geometry and you want to be able to target space because teams are so good at taking away area on the ground 
But the thing with Jakob is his footwork is so good, his timing is so good that he's able to navigate really tight spaces along the ground. You know, with that slew foot, that that drag through pivot that he does, he'll switch from going sideways to running full speed ahead, catching. He can Euro finish with both hands. He's got really soft touch. Uh, it would behoove the Raptors at some point if Jakob is going to be with the Raptors for the full length of his contract to pair him with a, a point guard who is quite good in the pick and roll who can threaten with their own offense, draw more defenders to their live ball handling, and then they can dump off to Jakob to, you know, make hay in the sunshine when, you know, teams are helping on, obviously, a driver. And Dennis is not that guy, obviously. Dennis in this game, four for six overall, three of five from downtown, five assists. The turnovers early were ugly. He had two, like, right away. But uh, I think in this game, Dialed everything back, of course. Does a decent job. Hits his threes. Um, is able to hit like a mid-range jumper. Um, does a decent job of just kind of like fitting in. And was you still need more from a starting point guard, but you're riding this interesting thing, right, where like the Raptors need usage from more than just Pascal and just Scotty. That's not how... Two players don't do it all on a team. One player doesn't do it all on a team. That's not how NBA offense works, of course. Um, but they and evidenced by Gary taking 17 shots, right? You need usage from other spots on the floor. People have been quite upset with Schroeder, for example, if he goes north of like 12 shots in a game, right? And even if he's hanging around 11 or 12, people are kind of looking at it sideways. The Raptors need usage somewhere. I think that this game is... I like more games where shooters between like six shot attempts, 11 shot attempts around there. And it forces the Raptors not to run as many rote, you know, non-advantage gaining actions through shooter and Jakob, but more so to move more of those possessions towards Pascal and Scotty, of course. Um, Coco asks, is Jakob being better with spacing? I think you said a situation where Gary starting might shift things a bit. I don't think so. Because Gary can't make a lot of the passing reads with his spacing. Now, there's like, it might not be Jakob specifically, but for example, Jakob hasn't been able to score as much, maybe as a roller this season as he did last season because of tags. So what a tag is, is, and you know, the Hornets did this, a lot of teams do this, but they'll bring guys from the weak side or the strong side, typically the weak side, to cover the lane that Jakob is rolling into in the pick and roll, thus making it really difficult to make a pass to him because that guard or wing pinching in is going to jump that pass. And if you put Scotty, or sorry, if you put Gary in the starting lineup, it might be that Gary is on the weak side and teams might be a little bit more hesitant to tag. But what is the more likely outcome is that whether it's Scotty or Pascal running that pick and roll, they have to make more of those skip passes to the corner. Gary has to hit more of those. It probably doesn't mean that Jakob sees a big boon in points um, just because a lot of those Gary actions, Gary wouldn't be able to step into Dennis's amount of possessions and make those little pocket pass reads to Jakob for points that, you know, Dennis, not at a high enough frequency, not at a high enough efficiency, but he does, um, he does make that happen um, more often than, than Gary. I think Gary 
is not necessarily a change you make for Jakob, but he's a change you make for Scotty and Pascal, at, at least in my mind. Of course, I'm as apt to be wrong as anybody. Um, this is just kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, uh, Phoenix Play Z asks, do I think playmaking and passing can be learned or is it more intuition? It can definitely be learned. Um, DeMar DeRozan is maybe the best example of that. He is like a fantastic playmaker at this point. It's because he's seen so many permutations of NBA defense. He's seen so many different rotations, knowing what he elicits, what kind of defensive response he elicits from the defense, knowing where rotations come from. And at this point, DeMar is very good against the hedge playmaking. He's very good getting downhill playmaking. He's very good against the blitz playmaking. He can playmake against like a show and recover. He can playmate playmake against a switch to blitz he can playmake against all of it and that's just a guy who was good enough on offense to justify him to keep getting possessions so he got to learn and he got to go through all of those reps I think there's a lot of guys um Pascal I think had a very natural playmaking knack that was kind of the big thing that everybody talked about when he was coming along with the bench mob there was a lot of these open court assist that he had he was really good at like making the lay down to a big when he got into the paint and especially when we look at pascal as a creator now he had to make a lot of steps and he had to see a lot of different uh reads well he had to make a lot of different reads as the main hub and we saw like a lot of growing pains but i i know you're saying like pascal already showed playmaking in 18 and 19 Nobody starts from zero, really. If you're asking, like, starting from zero, no, you can't teach a guy to play make at an NBA level. Um, but guys who start lower, if they're good enough off the dribble to get to the rim, if they can make shots off the dribble, if they're able to create a defensive response, um, it's hard to create a defensive response in the NBA. We see Dennis fail to do it like a whole bunch, and that's not Dennis's fault. Dennis is a, you know, a well-traveled, well-respected point guard across the NBA, be it considered, you know, uh, end of the line starter or a, you know, a decent bench guy, whatever it is, he even struggles to create advantages consistently. And, you know, that's something we've been seeing this season. If you have a guard who can consistently get into the paint, see how defenses respond, it's worth it to try and get him to kind of learn and, and try and coach up that playmaking. And this is something that like, Grady, for example, I, I'm not going to big up Grady too much right now because he struggled so much, but a, I've said this, a big part about his pre-draft workouts, for example, was that Grady went through a lot of those workouts where they're testing where his reads are. You put him through a bunch of these workouts where, or a bunch of these drills where you see where the defensive response is coming and the people watching know the most optimal pass to make in these situations. Pressure Grady. Where's the pass going? How accurate is it? And Grady has a really good knack for that type of playmaking. Unfortunately, hasn't been making shots. But those types of drills you can work on in the summer. You can take some of those drills and try and translate them to games, to the pickup games, and try and progress. And also, there's like a huge skill factor here too. Like, Scotty Barnes is a significantly, he's a, he's a playmaker of significantly more consequence. Why? because he can comfortably sling live dribble left-handed reads all over the floor. Like some of it is just like work on your game, be, be more comfortable with your left hand, be more comfortable throwing a pass from any passing angle, from any, any arm slot, and from any height of your dribble. Be able to pick it up and sling it somewhere. 
um, you don't have to take that extra time. Like your brain can process it. Your body can do it. Um, a lot of guys need, if they want to make passes, need to collect the ball, bring it to two, and then make the read. Uh, Scotty, one of his biggest advantages in beating the defenses, the defense catching up to his thought process, is he doesn't have to bring the ball to two. He keeps it in one. And uh, that's like a massively valuable thing. RE, uh, I guess, teaching playmaking. Some of it is skill progression. Some of it is a bunch of other things. Like Gary, for example, he should be a better playmaker than he is. Why? Because he is such a good shooter and he gets aggressive coverages on his dribble handoffs. He gets aggressive coverages on his pick and roll that he's opening up a lot of space for the guy rolling to the rim, be it out of the DHO or the pick and roll. He does not make a lot of those live dribble reads to his roller. And if they tag on the roll, he does not make a skip pass. He's not able to make those reads. If he was, he's stepping way ahead of guys who can't shoot because they can't even draw those assignments from NBA defenses yet, right? Like Scotty and Pascal, in their careers, they get to a little, and especially Pascal, Scotty earlier than Pascal, but they get to these reads, they get to see it and respond to it later than Gary does because Gary can elicit that response quicker. And uh, Micah Zion says, Gary's giving you a burger, no drink, no fries. And I love burgers, man. Burgers are great, but that's, uh, that's good. Derek K says, Gary is low IQ. No, we don't use the IQ thing here. It's a, that's a tough one. He, he has a, a lower feel for the game, I think. But uh, these guys, it's not about intelligence, right? Like you're playing a game. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I think. But Samson, do you think Scotty will be an all-star this season? And do you plan on going if he gets selected? Uh, I will be in Mexico during all-star weekend. So I will not be going. However, I do think Scotty gets selected. And deservedly so. And I don't even expect him to be like a, a coach's selection or like a, you know how Pascal last year was a reserve after somebody got injured or whatever, right? Um I think Scotty will just be like in there. And uh, that's that's my expectation. Um, Dougie Hamilton asks, what do you think Scotty's true ceiling is? You've covered a lot of Scotty footage. Well, initially, you know, what I wrote in his first season when I tracked all of his possessions was I said I thought that Scotty would be a superstar uh, unlike we hadn't seen before. Not necessarily that he would be the greatest player we've ever seen, but just that he's a very unique collection of talents and skills. And the basis of that was I thought that he was already one of the premium playmakers in the world during his rookie season, that he, by the end of his rookie season, had started to produce like more of a positive outcome defensively. He had a lot of potential there. And then on top of that, he was able to score in isolation and he had like such an uncanny ability to hit push shots. And of course, his his jumper hadn't come around at all to that point. Um, he had a nice stretch in early November of his rookie season where he was like maybe like 11 or 15 games, like 44 percent, if I remember correctly. And then on top of that, you know, he was such a physical force that he can pressure the offensive and defensive glass a lot. And when we see this season, he takes steps, obviously a massive one as a static jump shooter above the break, north of 40%, 
that's huge. That creates different defensive responses. That allows him to see more broken defenses. That allows him to lean more into his all-world playmaking ability. He plays lower in the defense. He gets to lean more into now his defensive strengths instead of trying to, you know, stand out with his defensive weaknesses on the perimeter more often. And especially like this season, the steps he's made um, initiating in the pick and roll, especially he is such a unique player. He doesn't still, you know, it's his third year. There's no rush or anything like that. But he still doesn't like from a static dribble break guys down. Like a lot of times, Scotty will get stuck going tween, 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 and nothing will really happen. He's very good when he keeps his momentum and has like curved drives and is able to get wide and do that kind of stuff. But when he's like stuck, he's not really able to create that much. These, this will improve going forward, but he already does so many things well and he can fit so many different things offensively. Like, how did he dominate in the fourth quarter tonight? A lot of it was off ball, like being a wrecking ball on the offensive glass, being a guy who's in the mix, in the paint. He doesn't even need the ball, but he's going to give you stats and impact. Um, defensively, he's changing shots at the rim, swing like as the roamer, being able to affect change, impact there, impact there. He's able to take that step up screen for Chris Boucher, lead him to the rim for a layup, impact there. He's able to take it into the lane, isolate, get to a spot, hit a hook shot, contested, impact there. He has so many avenues to impact. And this was kind of what I wrote about in his rookie season. I said, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but he's an odd player. He'll be an odd superstar, but he's already too good in isolation. His shot making is already too high, and he's too good at figuring out how to help out on the court too often to see it any other way. And now he can shoot, even with a little bit of a pull-up from three. He can hit above 40% from above the break. He is has this burgeoning progression in so many like of these little buckets of talent that who knows what it ends up looking like. What players have to do, you can look at Jason Tatum as a really good example of this, is once players get good at stuff, they're not just like good at everything and they know exactly what to do. Once players acquire a skill, they also have to figure out how often do I want to do this? How often, what is my hierarchy? Like what is the first thing I'm trying to achieve in an offensive possession? What is second? What are my counters against this defense, this defense, this defense? And Scotty, for the next couple of years, probably will be in that. That's why Kawhi is so good, right? He'll be in that stage of figuring out what he's most comfortable going to. First, you earn the skill. Then you see how you implement it. And then you see how often you want to implement it. Kawhi Leonard is maybe the best example of this. He got the skill. He figured out how he wanted to do it. He made a late progression as a playmaker in his career because... He developed as a scorer so late in his career, so he was seeing defensive responses late in his career. He slowly accumulated, I'm going to do this, 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 and now he's one of the most surgical players in all of the NBA. Scotty, I don't know what it looks like, but he's so good at reading the floor. His feel for the game is so phenomenal that when he acquires a skill, and he's not shy about anything. You know, I wrote this, I, I did a comparison article in November of his rookie season of Scotty and Steph Curry because they were about to play each other and Scotty had been on this torrid shooting run and I had said like there is no sleeping dragon with Scotty Barnes he's an awake dragon he'll try anything at any time he's not nervous about it he's not gun shy he doesn't care so if Scotty if Scotty gets the skill Scotty 
uses the skill and Scotty figures out the skill and how he wants to use it very quickly. And so his ceiling, I have no idea. He, you know, like the defensive stuff this year, the Raptors have certainly underperformed, but Scotty has popped like even tonight, three blocks, right? Could have been five. Um, as far as offensively, he's gaining a lot of talent, like a lot of skills right now. And I'm excited to see how he does it. But um, he looks like dead set for all NBA selections in his career. And once he, if and once or whatever, he gets past that point, then you start talking about um, awards of significant consequence. And I'd love to be talking about that. I'm not much of a predictions guy, um, but I'd love to be having those conversations about Scotty because those are the really cool ones. But those are also the toughest jumps to make. Um, I just think like everybody should be over the moon about the young man. Um, he's done like a tremendous job. And in this game, he did a tremendous job. Um, somebody else who deserves uh, mentioning OG in a weird spot, maybe recently, I think. Uh, the defense in the early part of this game has kind of waxed and waned. Um, and over the past however many games has like waxed and waned. It's been a little bit odd to see, I got to be honest. And I like... You know, five points tonight, seven points the game before, the shooting from three, you know, what is he, three for nine, three for 14 over his past however many, eight for 25, and then he's like eight for 31. It's been a really weird shooting stretch for him. There's been some games where he's been really, really good as a driver, picking spots, getting into the lane, being able to make laydowns, those live dribble reads, but also, on top of that, you know, you see the three-point shot going a little bit. It doesn't make anybody worry about, oh, is OG going to shoot the ball? He's always going to shoot the ball. He's just been in a little bit of a slump, I would say. And overall, you know, like it's, I think OG wants more for his game than like 15 points and, you know, two and a half assists and four rebounds. These are, it's been like three years since he was recording since he was taking this few of shots. It's been some time since he was like this low of usage. And he is obviously an impactful player all the time, every time he steps onto the floor. But he is a guy who is looking for how he fits in sometimes. And the Raptors, they do not kowtow to anything he wants. And he just has to kind of like live with that, which... As we know, he wants a little bit more for himself, as as he should. His uh, vision for his own game does not have to align with what the the front office wants, right? I'm going to take a drink of water. I've been talking for 38 minutes now. So give, give me a moment, please, and thank you. And we're back. Okay. Um, other things in this game, I thought that the Raptors' effort left me, in particular, wanting for long stretches. It got much better in the third quarter, and then it got really good in the fourth quarter. I thought that the defense really did a good job of locking down. The thing is, though, I don't want to be, they're now 11 and 15. I don't want to make grand declarations about locking up the, the Hornets, right? And the Hornets, without LaMelo Ball, without Bridges, without some players of consequence to their team, and them kind of dealing with, like, it's it's. McGowan's, who I was impressed with McGowan's in this game, of course, 
Um, I thought like a lot of really interesting stuff. PJ Washington has to scale up and try and take 16 shots. Um, Rozier takes 20. Ish Smith takes 10 shots, right? Like Nick Smith Jr. takes nine floaters probably. I know he took five threes. He only made one. But there's just a lot of guys who aren't really ready to for that level of usage on the Hornets trying to win an NBA game. And I think credit to that version of the Hornets for the game they played. And I, I like I looked at a lot of the young guys on the Hornets and said, that's a nice little game that they had. However, the Raptors, they never should have they lost they've lost every single fourth quarter so far or sorry, every single first quarter so far in December. They've lost a ton of first quarters over the course of the season and they've come out flat so often. I know you win this game, but I I I don't want to make any declarations about a good defensive stretch, them being back on that end because of who they just beat, who they just played. And offensively, I thought that the Hornets, like, hell yeah to Steve Clifford. I thought the Hornets played pretty good defense for long stretches, like principled. They stayed in their shell. They communicated well, especially in the early going of the game. Like, they played really, really sound defense. And the Raptors struggled with that. And there's, like... Playing defense in a system, playing defense in a team concept, succeeding at that, and then there's defensive talent. And the Raptors are supposed to have the overall talent on their team to be able to override and beat you know, teams that are playing good, sound, positional basketball, but lack, there's a talent gap between them. That's kind of how the NBA is supposed to work. And in this game, they found their way to it, but this is the Raptors meeting the baseline of their expectations, right? This is the Raptors beating a Hornets team that definitely i don't know they shouldn't have pressed them for as long as they did they and they did press them and of course it's fun because in this game that creates an outcome where scotty like he turns it on he goes for 22 17 and 7 with three blocks that's super fun to witness and see pascal was really clinical especially working inside the arc taking like where's the double coming from how deep can i drag it when I drag it to baseline, is the guy at the nail shifting to one pass away? Is a skip necessary? You know, how am I going to manipulate not the guy who's doubling me, but the second guy over? Like making those types of reads against the defense, really high level stuff, but it's the Hornets and the Raptors are supposed to do this. So no grand declarations. There's a reason we spent so much time talking about, you know, specific performances because from a team level the top-down view um this is not super remarkable you hope it starts something i know some people probably hope it doesn't start something i know there's some people on the, the on tankathon refreshing seeing if they the raptors can jump into the top six to get their pick back or whatever i get it this team doesn't inspire a lot of hope probably with play style or with talent or record or if you're looking at any underlying statistics, trying to figure out what the hell is going on here, right? Like sometimes I watch this team and I think I, it's almost hard to explain. Hapless, uh, feckless uh, drop for the, the people who are waiting around for that. Um, not a glorious game by any means, but a nice feather in Scotty's cap. Um, nice to see Pascal and Scotty take the Raptors, toss them in the backpack, lug them up the mountain. Um, Nice to see. Good enough. That's how I feel about this. Uh, I think I'm going to end the podcast there. Uh, the After the Denver game, we'll all be late. 
it'll be a late podcast because I'm finally going back to cover the team in person. Uh, my first game back will be uh, Jokic and Denver, so I'm excited for that. Should be good. Um, get to talk to the big guy. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it for the podcast. For There's like 150 people in here. Um, make sure to like the video. Also make sure to go vote Scotty for an all-star. I think the voting opens up tomorrow. Um, and vote whoever you want from the Raptors for an all-star. Vote whoever you want in general. I hope you, the people listening don't just like the Raptors, but like a large swath of players. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, make sure to like the video. All that kind of stuff is good. Uh, supports myself, the website, all that good stuff. Thank you for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure. To the people listening on their walks, etc., etc., all the different stuff. <laughs> Top Shot Tesla says they let you back in after your reckless copyright infringement. Yes. Uh, yeah, they, they've been very lenient with me. Uh, so, yeah, thank you to Raptors PR and the Raptors for letting me in after uh, <laughs> after that. Um, yeah, well said. Dawson Ned voting Tyrese Halliburton. Hell yeah, he's been an absolute pleasure to watch. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk to everybody. You've been insightful thoughtful and engaging and it makes these things much much better okay thanks for listening everybody whether you got into this in the morning or at night have a blessed day and goodbye we'll see ya